This is the Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. We're going to go ahead and get started. It's nice to see so many people out here today. Um, my name is Troy Swanson. I'm one of the librarians. I want to thank um, the Christian Fellowship for organizing this event. Uh, we're happy to, to play host to our student group events, and I want to uh, thank Reverend Hisham for uh, giving us his time. I just want to make a reminder uh, for everyone that's here that um, as that, that the Reverend is an invited guest of our college. Um, this is an educational event, so we're here to learn from him, and we're here to learn about his views on the world. We're not all necessarily here to agree, right? But we're here to be respectful and to make this a positive event that reflects well um, on our campus. And um, with that, I'll introduce Mike Shannon to, uh, to formally introduce our speaker. I thank you again all for coming, and um, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thanks, Troy. Hello, everyone. All right. <clears throat> A little bio on here for our speaker. This is not long enough. It does not do him justice, but... Let me read what I got here for you. Hisham Shahab right? yeah. was preparing to become a Muslim preacher imam when a car accident laid him up for a year. However, after hearing the Sermon on the Mount and a course of cultural studies in college, it brought him to faith in Christ. Hisham earned his MA in the history of the Arabs and did a PhD in the history of Islam. And presently, he works as a Christian pastor in Illinois and was an adjunct professor of Islam at Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So, without further ado, here you go. Thank you very much. I can see that you did very well with my uh, name. I'm from Lebanon, you know. I was giving a lecture something like three years ago in Indiana at a seminary and... Uh, so my first name is Hisham, but the last name was difficult for the host, for the professor. So he started thinking, okay, what's the last name? And it was so embarrassing. And uh, he said, please welcome Mr. Hisham Kabab. So, I mean, Kabab and Shihab rhyme, since I'm from Lebanon, you know. Uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. This is from Psalm. 119, which is believed that written by uh, Prophet David Dawood. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I can find a, a similar counterpart for this in, in the uh, prayer of Moses. Rabbi Shahli Sadri wa Yisrli Amri. So, uh, this is a personal story. It's a story of love. It's not a story that tells that somebody is better than somebody else. It tells only that Jesus as Lord and Savior is better than anybody. Only. And uh, I, I'd like to start with the background because it is very important. I was born in Lebanon in the Middle East. And uh, Lebanon is, as you can see in the map, is south of Turkey, not south of Texas. And uh, I was born in a Muslim family that claims descent from the tribe of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, and uh, from Bani Makhzum. And we came as warlords to, during the Arab conquest of the Middle East, and we settled in south Lebanon and also on the coast to defend uh, uh, the Lebanon against the attacks of the, of the Byzantines. So we were warlords and later princes of Lebanon for around 70 years really in, in modern times. Uh, Lebanon is a unique country in the Middle East. When you say Lebanon, it's not the political entity we know today in the Bible. I'm giving this background because it's very important uh, uh, and Lebanon is the only country that used to have 50% of, of its population as Christian, and the other 50% uh, Muslim and different, really, uh, sects, if I can say. Now, today we have 18 sects, but in, uh, in 
in prehistory or in the, uh, in the ancient history of the Middle East, Lebanon was Mount Lebanon only. And when you read in the Bible about Lebanon, it's Mount Lebanon, it's a range, the western range really, uh, the clicker, uh, the western range which, uh, I need the, the, the laser, yeah. Yeah. The western, the western range here, and there are two ranges, Lebanon and anti-Lebanon. So this was very, it's mountainous and it's, uh, it goes up to 8,000 feet tall. Okay, so uh, there was a conference in the 5th century A.D. in Nicaea when Christians debated the nature of Christ and other stuff, theological stuff. Some Christians did not, did not agree and they left Syria uh, to escape persecution. And they took refuge in the mountains of Lebanon to escape the persecution of other Christians. And they lived in those mountains and populated the mountains for hundreds of years. So with the Arab conquest, they were a majority in the country. So Lebanon what we, uh, that we know today, is, and also Lebanon is the land of the cedars, uh, very famous. King Solomon built his cedarwood, uh, his uh, temple from cedarwood, and it's uh, also uh, uh, on the flag of Lebanon. Uh, if you look at the map of the Middle East, it was not like this in the 19th century. There were no borders, okay, and it was not divided. It was all under the Ottoman rule, which is today Turkey, and it was ruled from Istanbul up there. And uh, uh, the, uh, during the First World War, in the First World War, when uh, the, 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 uh, the Turks sided with the Germans, Okay, they lost the war with the Germans. So the Allied forces came into the Middle East and divided the Middle East the way we know today, or they tried to. In the beginning, they put uh, some countries under mandate, like uh, Lebanon was under a French mandate, Syria was under a, a, uh, a, uh, a French mandate as well, Palestine was under a British mandate, and Jordan as well. So... Uh, before they decided really to put them under their mandate, the Allied forces met in Versailles, okay, uh, between 1919 and 1923 to, to decide the destiny of the Ottoman leftovers. And they thought, well, maybe they can, uh, uh, the Christians in Lebanon under the patriarch, Huayik uh, uh, his name was, they thought maybe they can go to Versailles and ask for a country to be a homeland for the Christians in the Middle East, like the, the Jewish homeland in Israel. So this patriarch, he uh, headed a delegation to Versailles and, and tried to convince Allied forces that Lebanon should be a homeland for the Christians in the Middle East. So they turned him down because also the Muslims in Lebanon, led by the Mufti, uh, went in a delegation and presented another case. The, the, the Muslims in Lebanon said, why should it be a homeland for the Christian Middle East? We are part of the Arab uh, nations around us, and we should be part of the Arab kingdom that was uh, underway. It was really planned to be in Damascus, uh, so that it's an Arab kingdom with the seat in Damascus. But uh, the Allied forces decided that they are not going to allow the Arabs to have their kingdom, and they gave uh, the, the main leader of the Arab Revolution, Sharif Hussein, a small country, if I can say, and called it Jordan. And they declared him king of Jordan. And uh, so away went the Arab dreams of independence. And so they... What about Lebanon? What were they going to do with Lebanon? I'm Lebanese, so I'm cons I was, you know, looking closely at this. Okay, they, they decided that they'll declare a Lebanon that would be a home a, for, for all uh, confessions. As I said, we have today 18 confessions. And so they decided they'll join together the Christian uh, mountain with the Sunni coast and the Shiite south and declare it Greater Lebanon. Not Lebanon, because Lebanon is a mountain, so they called it Greater Lebanon. It's not that great, really. It's the size of New Jersey, 
you know. So, but nobody was happy, and they started to organize in militias and political parties to wrench more power. Every uh, confessional community, really. Another story, important story, which, which goes along with this story, and it's very important for my personal story, is the uh, story of Palestine-Israel. As I said, the British put Palestine under their mandate and later de declared Jordan a, an independent kingdom, but uh, the Jewish agency, uh, which was part of the Zionist movement, was very active in Palestine since... Uh, uh, the, the early 19th century, then they were buying land or they were uh, forcing uh, weak uh, uh, people out of their uh, uh, neighborhoods and they were occupying some land and they were building kibbutz, they call them, you know, uh, col uh, colonizing, trying to colonize the land. So there were a lot of struggle, there was a lot of struggle between the Arabs in Palestine and the Jews. Uh, who came as immigrants from Russia and from uh, America, from uh, East Europe, etc. So the United Nations decided to settle this by declaring a two-state solution, Israel in 1947 and a, a Palestinian government. That's, so the two-state solution was declared in 1947. Israel uh, uh, celebrated that as a... Uh, maybe a, a, uh, a prophecy that came true, but, but uh, the issue is that they, they, they thought that they, they are back to their promised land, quote-unquote, but the Arabs were very unhappy because uh, a lot of land was confiscated, a lot of things were taken by force, some were, you know, bribed, etc. So, just in 1948, one year after the UN declaration, the Arab nations decided to, to uh, attack Israel. And by the way, let me say that 800,000 Palestinian refugees came out of Palestine, Israel uh, in 1948. Okay? When the, in, the invading Arab armies came in to try to invade the nascent state Israel, okay? Some of them were promised, the Palestinian refugees today, they were promised that they'll go back in two weeks to their homes. So some of them carried their keys, some of them carried their deeds with them, but they never came back. And the uh, Arab, uh, Arab uh, armies that tried to invade Israel were defeated, and uh, in military uh, uh, rules they say that the Arab uh, armies cornered the Israelis, and this is why they fought like lions, uh, because they had nothing, nowhere to go then. And uh, so, eight, as I said, 800 Palestinian refugees came out of Palestine, Israel. Half of them settled in Lebanon. Okay, 400,000 Palestinian refugees settled in Lebanon, and mind you, that. Uh, uh, Lebanon, with its confessional problems, with its sectarian problems, with Muslims, you know, trying to wrench more power, Christians trying to wrench more power, received 400,000 Palestinian refugees, where were mostly Muslims, and uh, and the Muslims really took them as their brothers and sisters, and they thought that they'll swell their ranks, you know, while the Christians believe that they are a threat. So this really increased the tension between Lebanese Muslims and Christian Muslims. And mind you that the population in Lebanon was 2.5 million, so 400,000 refugees would make a lot of difference, you know, in the numbers uh, of, of the Muslims as well. So, uh, in 1958... We had our first civil war in Lebanon. I was born in 1960, so I was minus two years old then. I wasn't part of it. My father was part of it. As you can see from this original picture, the Peugeot 1957, that really witnesses to the authenticity of the, this picture from 1958. Uh, the civil war in Lebanon between Christian and Muslims lasted only eight months. 
and uh, somebody inter intervened to stop the, the fighting. It was the U.S. Marines. Believe it or not, the U.S. Marines came into Beirut in 1958, stopped the fighting, and installed a president who ruled for six years. I was born in this uh, uh, period of peace in 1960, between 1960 and 1967. And I was seven years old when I witnessed... Uh, this uh, division between Christians and Muslims in my community. Uh, I, I saw my, my, my cousin chasing a Christian boy one day. Uh, whenever there was a problem in the fields, we used to play marbles in the fields and stuff. So whenever there was a problem, the Christian boys would be on one side and the Muslim boys on one side. So my cousin, who was three years older than me, was chasing Christian boy. That Christian boy crossed the street and was run down by a car. Nobody felt sorry for him. Another, uh, I mean from the Muslim side. From another day I was uh, playing marbles myself when a, I looked up and a Christian boy was on top of me with a stick in his hand and a nail in it. And he just banged me on the head. So that Christian boy, his name was Pierre, like Peter in English, and he got me here. You can see the scar still on my forehead today. So I was, my, my, I was bleeding and was crying and was dragged home. So that was my first-hand experience with a Christian boy. Okay? So you can see the difficulty. And, and in 1967 as well, I witnessed another Israeli-Arab war myself. Uh, the, the Arab... Nations led by uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt were preparing for a showdown. And Israel uh, took wind of this and uh, they dealt a preemptive strike to the, to the Arab uh, armies. Israel attacked first and uh, instead of being attacked and they destroyed the, this is the Egyptian fleet, they destroyed the Egyptian uh, air fighter, uh, fighters and then uh, captured thousands of Egyptians and Syrians. Some of them uh, uh, died in the desert as well. More Palestinian refugees came in 1967. They were coming from the Gaza Strip mainly to Lebanon. But this time it was different. Uh, the Palestinian refugees who were homeless, who were uh, without shelter now, had a, a, an important leader, Yasser Arafat. The Arab nations discovered that they cannot really uh, deal with Israel on their own. So they thought that they should support somebody who can deal Israel something that could be, a, in, in military terms, called a low-intensity war, a law of attrition. So they met in Cairo in 1969, and gave Arafat with the blessings of the king, uh, Saudi king, Faisal. They gave him the blessing to build, as well as the financial support, to build military bases in South Lebanon, in order to attack Israel uh, easily. If you, if you don't know South Lebanon, you can go to South Lebanon if you like, and there is a, uh, a, 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 a remnant of a crusader's castle, you can really throw a stone and hit an Israeli, if you like. So it's very easy to launch rockets from there, to, to shoot, to snipe, etc. So Arafat was supported. He built military bases in South Lebanon and started attacking Israel. And, uh, and the Christians in Lebanon felt uh, more heat that they are going to be... Uh, be uh, outpowered, outnumbered, and uh, they'll lose the whole country. Uh, I was uh, at that age, uh, from the age of three, really, uh, it's, it's five, really, uh, to the age of uh, later 14, but uh, I was going to a Muslim school called Al-Maqasid al-Islamiyyah, and uh, I was learning the, how to recite the Quran well, how I was the second best at the Quran because the, the guy who was first best in the Quran at the Quran was the son of the Imam, really. And uh, I was the best at Arabic. And um, I was really, uh, we were supposed to do the noon prayer, as you know that in Islam, 
prayers. We have five times prayer uh, of ritual prayers every day from dawn to to the evening. And uh, the most convenient was uh, the noon prayer to force the kids go to pray in order to develop this habit. And it's the lunch hour. So in, in the mosque next to the school, I met a young Muslim preacher. He was on fire and he was giving answers to questions I started to ask about politics and the relationship of politics to Islam and dignity as well our human dignity as Muslims and Arabs. And he was a member of Al-Jama'a Al-Islamiyya, which is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood that was uh, uh, established or founded in Egypt in 1928. And he gave me books written by uh, Banna and Maududi, the founder of the same group in Pakistan, and Sayyid Qutb. And I learned from those books that this, uh, you know, connection between religion and Islam, uh, I mean, politics and Islam. And in so, uh, especially Kutub was very kind of uh, interesting and deep. And uh, he talked about pre-Islamic, the pre-Islamic world and how uh, the Islamic world is re- living Asr al-Jahiliyyah, the, the pre-Islamic world. And I learned that the world is divided into two parts, the world of Islam and the world of infidels. And it's our duty to convert the other part of the world to Islam because non-Muslims don't know what's good for them. They are uh, not really, they are not good stewards of the earth. Only Muslims are good stewards of the earth. They are the viceroys of, of Allah on earth. And we, it's our duty to convert or establish a global Muslim state that gives justice to all. Uh, Muslims and non-Muslims, and everybody living under Sharia law, which is the law of God, or Allah. So, I asked my friend, well, but maybe 50% of the population in Lebanon are Christian. He said they are remnants of the Crusaders, they are not Arabs. We have to really to teach them a good lesson. And he said, Don't, we are not the only people working on this. We are a part of a global movement that extends from, Morocco, from, from India to Morocco. And one day we'll rise together, join hands, and we'll be able to, to establish a global Muslim state. I, I could get uh, really from him, I could understand why he uh, re- uh, said that Christians were crusaders in Lebanon because there were Christian militias in Lebanon preparing for a showdown, training their own people, and the, cre- the cross was part of their armory, and it was on their flags. And, uh, they, uh, and you can see in this really slide, this is a logo of a Christian militia. The, the, so, the, the cross is a sword, up, uh, now is a sword. The cross upside down, you see. And this one, the cross is a dagger. In the civil war, it used to have the blood dripping from the lower tip. The blood of the Muslim, I think, is what they believed. And uh, in 1973, uh, I was uh, invited with my only brother, my only sibling, to a military training camp where we were taught how to shoot rifles, how to shoot rocket-propelled grenades, how to shoot mortars. And uh, I was told by the trainer, if you want to shoot straight, he put the the gun on his uh, shoulder like this, and he said, if you want to shoot straight, imagine that there is a Christian in your sights. Then you'll shoot straight. Uh, Well, the Christian militias uh, really were were responsible for that bad reputation, really. In 1975, uh, a Palestinian soccer team was traveling through a suburb of Beirut in this bus. When they ambushed this bus, the Christian militia, riddled the bus with bullets, killed all the Palestinian soccer team, and an all-out civil war broke out in Lebanon at the age of 15. As, As I said, I was born in 1960. At the age of 15, 1975, I found myself in the streets with a rifle, going to high-rise buildings, sniping in Christian neighborhoods. Uh, at one point, um, I'll, I'll mention this later, but it's, it was really kind of a very ruthless civil war. The Christian militias uh, were losing ground 
1975, they burned Muslim neighborhoods that, or Muslim enclaves in their neighborhoods, really. This is a Kurdish, a Muslim, a Kurdish Muslim neighborhood was an, as an enclave in their, in their uh, Christian neighborhood. And this is a Muslim woman, Kurdish Muslim woman, pleading mercy from a masked uh, Christian gunman. And in 1976, they, they started to lose ground because we made a coalition together, the, the Lebanese Muslim militias with the Palestinian militias, all uh, branches. We made a coalition where we are facing the Christian militias together, Lebanese Christian militias, and the, the Christian militias started to lose ground, they, so they appealed to Israel for help. And uh, Israel then uh, wanted to check them out. They sent their... Israeli defense minister, it was Ariel Sharon then. This is a graphic picture, so I warn you, a graphic slide. So the Christian militias, they had a captured Palestinian fighter, and to, in order to show Sharon how much they hated Palestinians, they dragged the, the, the captive to death behind their stage uh, 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 wagon. Okay? Uh, so... It, they were very ruthless. So one day, and they also recruited uh, fe the female population because they were losing ground, as I said. In 1976, before I turned 16, really, I was on a mortar cannon with my uh, brother, my only brother, my only sibling, shelling the largest Christian neighborhood in Beirut called Ashrafiyeh with mortars. And uh, I, uh, I felt uneasy about it because... Uh, I mean, I thought, well, I signed up for a jihad to defend my Muslim community against the ruthless Christian uh, militias. But now, I've, then I found myself in a mortar cannon. How can I, you know, justify this? So I went to the head of the Muslim group called Sheikh Faisal. He's sick today. Uh, I mean, these days he's ill. And I, uh, I went to him, and uh, he's still alive. I went to him and asked him, well, you know, I joined you, like, you know, to defend the Muslim community. Now I see myself on a, on a mortar cannon shelling civilian neighborhoods with mortars, and I, I don't feel e easy about this, you know. He said, who is he, your example in life as a Muslim? I said, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. He said, this is the best answer. Well, he said, Muhammad, when he had uh, a problem with the Jews in Medina, he shelled their neighborhoods with catapults. And catapults are medieval war machines, you know, blind medieval war machines like mortars. Exactly. And, uh, and you don't know where the projectile will fall. Also, you don't know where the mortar uh, bomb will fall. Later, when I went deeper into Islamic history, I found out that he shelled Ta'if. Muhammad, the Prophet of Islam, shelled Ta'if, which is south of Mecca, not the Jews. Okay, I mean, justice for the sake of the truth here. You know, so uh, I uh, I asked him. So uh, he said, Hisham, you're a you seem to be very good at Arabic, and you memorize a lot of the Quran. Why don't you you know uh, be, just get training to become one of our main preachers and evangelists? So I liked the idea. So I went through a crash course. They microwaved me, as you say here in the West. And after just in six months, I was ready to, to give my first Friday sermon. So uh, I was excited about it at the age of 16, preaching from the pulpit of Muhammad, the Prophet of Islam. So they wanted to make sure that at the age of 16, I'll take the psychological pressure, you know, from facing hundreds of people in the mosque. So we did a rehearsal for 50 people. I did very well. And I was very happy with it. And I had a few days before Friday, uh, I decided to visit my aunt. And I rode with my cousin in a Volkswagen van, Westphalia Volkswagen van. And, uh, and uh, God had a different plan for my life. Uh, instead of giving that Friday service, I got into a head-on collision. This is not the actual car. It's, it was a Volkswagen. I couldn't find you know, a crashed Volkswagen. Now it's a collected, collecting item, what do you call it, collective? Yeah, yeah, so you won't find a crashed Volkswagen. So I, I had a head-on collision, and 
Instead of giving that Friday service, both legs were broken. I was hospitalized for 50 days and was laid up for one year. You know, I was 16 experimenting with life and when I woke up from anesthesia after three days in the, at the American University Hospital in Beirut, there is an American University, it's the Harvard of the Middle East, and next to it a hospital, the best. And I woke up from anesthesia after three days and saw my bones and then I observed how doctors were being, uh, you know, like as I said, I was 16 and was experimenting with life and I saw how doctors walk the hallways like half guards and push people around and I thought, well, why a preacher? Maybe I can become a medical doctor, you know. So I... uh, my plan was to learn more English, so I started uh, reading comic books. I discovered Snoopy and Charlie Brown and stuff, but it was too expensive to read five imported books every day because I had all the time on my hands in the world. So I switched to novels and started reading Western novels. This guy had more than 125 novels, so I read them all. And in 1979, I qualified to the American University of Beirut uh, as a biology chemistry student to, to, to go into the medical school later. I was excited. It was a dream come true. Before that, I was a new account, a, just a militiaman in the street, then later a, a student at the Harvard in the Middle East. I wanted to focus on my studies and forget about the Civil War. But again, God had a different plan for my life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My only brother, my only sibling, who was a captain in the Muslim militia, was uh, killed was killed by a Christian militia. And I was devastated. I couldn't really uh, focus on my studies. I dropped... Uh, most of the courses except one course I thought I should keep going to college why? because uh, many Christian boys came who were members in that group and I thought I could make friends with them and uh, uh, this way I know where they live how to ambush them I got a silencer and a gun and I started to stalk them at night and I kept going to college in the daytime for that course and it was a course of cultural studies It was a college course required from all students, and uh, it was a comparative uh, literature course. It it compared the the epic of Gilgamesh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Quran, the Holy Book of Islam, and some Western philosophy together, ideas and uh, themes and stories. So, at the climax of my hatred and my uh, endeavor to kill my enemies, The professor uh, chose a selection from the New Testament. It was the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, love your enemies. I thought, wow, this is ridiculous. Who could love his enemies? Or superhuman, maybe. You know, I thought, maybe this Bible, I I hadn't read this before, you know. So, I I thought... uh, Maybe I should read the Bible. But then there was, because we didn't have time to read the whole Bible, you know. Then there was a, a statement uh, by Jesus in, in, uh, in Matthew 22, really. Uh, a Pharisee, a Jewish uh, lawmaker came and asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second greatest is love your neighbor as yourself. I thought, well... I was told that this Bible is corrupted, it's uh, bishops and rabbis put their spin on it, and, uh, and it should lead people to Satan, not to God. But this Jesus Christ is really talking about love in the, wo- the most powerful way I've ever heard. Maybe I'm missing the truth with a capital T here. Maybe I should look for the truth for myself. But... I should be objective, I thought. Well, I was reading also Western philosophy. I said, well, what about Eastern philosophy? Maybe they have the truth. Maybe Hinduism has the truth. Maybe I thought I should... uh, I I didn't have any Hindus around. It was civil war raging. And I I bumped into a uh, a yogi. She was a yoga guru. 
and she was a British uh, lady trained by the disciples of Mahatma Gandhi, lived a lot of her life in, in India, and she said, forget about religion, forget about Islam, forget about Christianity. You want to know the truth, you want to reach God, it's through spiritual exercises. But first you have to purify your body. I said, what do you mean? When we want to uh, pray, we wash, okay, ablutions, and then we'll pray. She said, no, this is a different kind of purification. You have to be vegetarian. I said, okay, well... At the age of 20, okay, uh, 21, pushing 21 then, I was an athlete, I was doing three martial arts, I wanted to kill my enemies with my bare hands if needed, but I had to, uh, you know, get energy from eating fruits and vegetables. So I ended up munching on fruits and vegetables a half of the day, and excuse me for this, and spending the other half of the day in the bathroom because of the fibers. So, and... Uh, I got very good at yoga. I used to put my feet behind my head. Not anymore. And uh, then another guru said, you're good, okay, we'll start with transcendental meditation. They gave me a mantra, a word in Sanskrit, I don't know what it meant. And I had to repeat it thousands of times. So they said it will dig in, in my soul. The more, and they, they said, I'll ascend to God, step by step. But the more I read of that mantra, the more I felt stupid, really. And I felt, well, we are tr trying to ascend to God with our spiritual exercises. We are trying to ascend to God with our works. But we cannot do it. Only in Jesus Christ, God has descended to us and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. So, in a few uh, months, instead of stalking, stalking my enemies at night with a gun and a silencer, I started sneaking to churches to hear how they speak about Jesus Christ. I thought reading the Bible is not enough. Why? Uh, you know, I, I have a story from the Muslim traditions. Like uh, a guy, it's a funny story, but it shows that you cannot really, really learn from books. You have to, to learn what people believe from people, okay? And uh, there was a guy who went to the mosque uh, putting on his waist a big knife and a dead rat. And the imam rushed in, uh, to him and said, what are you doing? This is unclean. This is unacceptable. He said, well, I read, uh, if you go into the mosque, carry a big knife and a dead rat. He said, no, you stupid, it's, Maybe maybe there's some misprint or a fly, you know, uh, pooped on that, you know, or, I mean, because, because in Arabic it's really just one dot that makes a difference. But he read, So this is how he got it, you know. So I thought I cannot really learn, really, uh, about Jesus unless I go. To, to, to church and uh, meet people who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a long story. I couldn't really follow uh, my dream uh, to become a medical doctor because I lost focus. I did a BA in English uh, uh, teaching and a diploma in teaching English as a second language. Then I did a master's degree, uh, took undergrads a master's degree in the history of Islam, early Islamic period and then did Ph.D. studies later. But uh, 1989, I felt I should contribute to peace in my country. I was fascinated by the way Jesus said, God, uh, blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed be the peacemakers. I want to be one of those peacemakers that could, would contribute peace and reconciliation to my country. So I, I established a, a, a Christian Islamic Dialogue Association, and we... We started bringing Christians and Muslims together. As you can see, this is the president of Lebanon, the Lebanese White House, if I can say it. And he wanted to honor my, uh, honor my uh, association uh, with a visit. And uh, later I, uh, I was uh, supported by the Lebanese prime minister who was killed five years ago 
assassinated and he used to give $3,000 under the table to support the, the, the association that worked for foster peace and reconciliation in Lebanon. I, I, I want to give you some examples about the people we, I brought together. Uh, this guy, a, a distant relative, he was first, uh, second in command in a Muslim militia. He used to shell Muslim, uh, Christian neighborhoods. He used to hit where it hurt most, where it was least expected. The other guy was second in command in the Christian militia, and he was ruthless in killing Muslims. He was... He had an evil mind in those days. He would uh, call a, he mentioned this in his memoirs, he would call a, a movie house and then uh, in a Muslim area and tell them there is a bomb in the movie. And people would stampede out from the movie and he would start shelling the neighborhood with mortars, killing as many Muslims as possible. One day he went to a priest. He felt uneasy about after killing around 300 Muslims. He went to the priest, and you know, in, in a church there are some confessional uh, places where, uh, I mean, people do confessions, not confessions, make confessions. And he sat from the other, and on the other side of this, the screen, uh, the priest recognized his voice, and he said, Asad, what are you doing here? I am one of your fans, you know. You're a hero in the community. He said, well, I killed around 300 Muslims and I want to confess. I want to repent. And the priest said, well, you know, go make them 500 and come back. And then we'll talk about confession and repentance. So those were the people I brought together, really, and worked for peace in Lebanon. Uh, in, uh, in the 90s, I started to become like the go-between between Christians and Muslims and also Western missionaries and uh, church workers. And uh, you can see uh, me in there. I used to have more hair. And uh, I started to receive invitations from all over the world to speak how, about religious values, how I use religious values in order to foster peace and reconcil reconciliation. And... Uh, uh, it was 2000. Uh, it, it was 99 when I f received my first uh, first invitation to the to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington D.C. and uh, it was a very good time that really kind of changed my perspectives towards Christianity, if I can say, because uh, uh, or clarif clarified, let me say, clarified some of of the problems I had. Because all the time the cross was given with me to me like a symbol of murder, you know, the cross was not uh, a, a. I met a guy from Alabama who drove me around and uh, for three days, and he showed me the monuments in Washington D.C. It was very interesting to meet a guy from Alabama coming for the first time to the states with his accent, you know, and. Um, very interesting guy, a candidate for PhD um, in Middle Eastern history, so he wanted to spend the most time he could with me. So uh, the last day he was driving me to the airport when he wanted to drop me with my luggage and he started crying like a baby. I asked him, Rick, what's the problem? He said, you're such a nice guy going to such a dangerous country. I said, well, I have my wife there, my career, my children. And, and he said, let me give you this. He took his wallet out and took a cross a silver cross with the words written on it, May the angels of God guard thee. I started crying like a baby myself, and I lost all, you know, the baggage toward the cross I had from Lebanon. It was important. In, in 2000, I was invited to... Let me say that I went back to Lebanon. I used to work uh, at a Palestinian institution uh, to support uh, Palestinian students and refugees. And I was fired, I was, I was really accused of being a CIA agent. I was an education advisor there. So the next time I was invited, uh, the next year in 2000, I was invited to Switzerland. And uh, I thought, wow, I'll hike the Alps, that's good. I liked hiking, but uh, there's something uh, important about that conference is that I gave a speech uh, talking about... Uh, how I use religious values to, to foster peace and reconciliation in Lebanon. But I want to be careful, really. I didn't want really to upset anybody. So I portrayed Jesus like a Gandhi, you know. And everybody was happy. 500 people from 54 nations 
gave me a standing ovation twice. I thought, wow, this is the glory. Well, today Geneva, the next day maybe New York, uh, the next day maybe uh, Moraine Valley Community College, who knows. So I thought, well, uh, maybe I should stick to it, you know, because I've been struggling with this issue and trying to uh, bring people together for almost 20 years, and uh, maybe I should stick to this, and that's fine. I can juggle some stories from the Quran because... I, by that time, I memorized more than half of the Quran by heart, and, and I can juggle some stories from the Bible, make a good story, and everybody would like it. So I went to my room that night, it was August 6, 2000, with a decision not to read the Bible again, because I thought, well, I can do without it. I, I don't really want to live anymore under persecution. And, uh, and uh, just... Uh, that night when I went to bed, I had a vision of Jesus Christ. He, I, I saw a big a grave. with It was like a fortress. Two slabs of rock parted, and he came out in shrouds. And he said, keep on praying. I went back to Lebanon. Uh, resigned from my job. And wanted to share Jesus Christ with my community, really. I... Uh, I was uh, persecuted by the church before I was persecuted by the Muslims, really, because who who I was, I think. And uh, so after six months, I failed. I went back to my profession as a full-time journalist and a part-time professor at the American University of Beirut and other colleges teaching Middle Eastern history. And I thought, well, uh, even though I'm spiritually not really fulfilled, but I was going, doing good money and putting bread on the table. And one day I bumped into, I was going to a uh, bank building in, a, in, a, in Beirut to pay a bill. And I bumped into a, an American pastor who, uh, who was retired and he came to Lebanon to start a church and he couldn't speak any Arabic. And you know in Lebanon there is no GPS, especially in those days, so he used to get lost. And he knew only two words in Arabic, Allah Mahabba. But he was going around in the elevator saying them in a funny way, saying, So, I, it was very kind of... <laughs> so, I, he, I took his card and saw his uh, number and I called him. And, but he was like, you know, he was so excited. In ten minutes, he met me. And, and uh, the same day. And uh, that was our first meeting over there, and his wife tried to make Turkish coffee for me, and she failed. I haven't told her till today. And uh, and but he was like a lone ranger look, looking for Tonto, and he found me. So we joined hands together. Hands together in 19. Uh, uh, let me skip. In 2003, uh, uh, really, he was deported from Lebanon, and I took uh, over the. The, his ministry, if I can say, in Lebanon, but part-time as a volunteer work, you know, and I was uh, working as a journalist, as a professor. When I, I got a call in 2004, I was really leaving to, to uh, I was going to Al Jazeera to, to, to help them establish a, a uh, network, a, 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 a web in, Arab, in, in English, a, a, a website in English. And... Uh, in Qatar, I, I, I went there for three days and I wanted to move for good and he called me from the States, it was 2004, so I decided that this is my calling to come and serve the Lord in the States and I've been here for five years. I'll stop at this point and take your questions. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Why? Oh, hello. Um, I don't understand something, and I want to ask you what is the Bible for you? Ah, what's the Bible? What is the Bible then okay. in your life now? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I, it's the Word of God for me. Uh, and uh, unerring word of God inspired meaning, 
not by not letter. There is a difference between uh, in Islam the Quran is revealed letter and meaning. The Bible is the meaning is revealed. The message message is revealed. So the Bible for me is the unerring word of God. You see, and I mean it's my life because I pastor a church, an Arabic church in Lombard. You know, uh, so that's it. Yeah, thank you. Any other question? Yes. Well, when you see a powerful vision, it's you know you it's really you you know without. I, I mean I can uh, quote uh, something uh, from Muhammad the Prophet of Islam. He said, "Man ra'ani ra'ani haqqan, Right. So the. I, as Muslims believe that the devil doesn't take the shape of prophets, right? So, I mean, but it was deep, a deep, uh, you know, uh, understanding and acknowledgement that was Jesus. He came out in his shrouds. And uh, that, that was not the last time. We have really recorded uh, events with other Muslims seeing Jesus in visions and dreams. See, and this is something you can read about. Go on, t- on the web, and you can find it. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I I can't hear. How can I? How did I convert? Ah, I don't like the word convert because I try to follow Jesus, not the church. Uh, Christ is different from Christianity, or let me say, churchianity. I try to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, I can say, to serve the people and share the love of Christ with them. But uh, the word convert is, you know, it's in, in, in Greek it means, or Latin it means changing dire- direction, really. But, I mean, the issue is that uh, uh, a friend of mine said... Uh, we are like a centipede, you know, it's, uh, it has 44 legs, or 100, 100 legs. So you, don't, you never know which leg passes through, you know. Huh? A chain reaction, that's from chemistry, maybe, you know. It, 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 was, it was in stages, you know. It's not like, pooh, yeah, that's it. But it, it was one thing encouraging after another, you know, for me, personally, yeah. I, I can ah okay. What made me become a follower of Christ? Christ Himself, really. Not not uh, the church, not the and say the Bible. The Word of God is very important because it leads you there. But it's Christ Himself because He's alive. He's He's there, you know. And uh, you know, uh, in Islam we believe that he is in the second heaven, right? And he'll come back as a, as a Muslim savior, or, or not savior. I mean, lead the Muslims to 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 victory and s- kill the Antichrist, and you know, spread the injustice, uh, the justice in the world and peace. I had a friend. He said, "Well, a Muslim from Iraq." He said, "Well." Uh, he came as a refugee nine months ago, and he said, "Well, why wait till the ends of time? We should follow him now." You know, that was his decision, not my decision. I, it, for me, it was stages. Is that really? Does it answer the question? If, if you'd like to come here, ask it. I mean, you're welcome. You know, I mean. Can we take another question and come back to you? Yes, sir. Yeah. Love your enemies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is a famous story by a Jew, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But neither are we, and it is also our duty as Muslims to be peaceful to other religions. And Islam itself is not a religion of uh, hatred. It's more peace and love. And at times, when necessary, you see violence, such as overseas, a lot of innocent victims are being attacked. Well, I respect your point of view, even though I may disagree, you know, but I want to add that, I, I think you heard what he said, but I want to add that love is a central theme in, in, in the Bible, or in, in the teachings of Jesus. It's not something, a, a side theme, you know, it's a central theme. And when he said, love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, he said the second greatest commandment, which is like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, God doesn't need us. We need him. But our neighbor needs us. And I believe that, uh, I'm not really criticizing here, but if you look at the history of our culture, about, uh, at the history of Islam, it's a history of conquest. Till uh, the 15th century, 16th century, when the Ottomans took all over the world, uh, the old world, uh, part of it from Iraq to Morocco and parts of uh, Europe, to, and they reached the gates of Vienna. And you may say, well, these are not, they do not represent Islam, okay, but, well, who understands Islam more than the Prophet of Islam, first thing, and who understands Islam more than the companions of Islam, okay? Uh, uh, the prophet of Islam uh, uh, he wanted to defend himself right and he, he attacked the caravans passing through to Damascus I, I'm just skipping some details here because of the time but uh, later he decided to take Mecca over right he was first defending himself then he's, he changed to the offensive on his deathbed he sent a campaign to Syria in Syria, there are no, uh, uh, you know, aggressive or hostile Arabs towards him. He sent a Jaish uh, al-Usra. It was on his deathbed when he said, uh, sent Osama bin Zayd on to, uh, at the head of an army. So he was really, he had a greater vision. And you know, from the correspondence between the Prophet of Islam and uh, the emperors and the kings around him, the king of Persia, the emperor of Persia, and the king of Egypt, and uh, the Byzantine king. He sent three emissaries with Aslam Taslam, uh, submit to Islam and you will be safe. And uh, to the Christians he said you will have a double reward because you believe in Jesus, now we believe in Muhammad. And to the emperor of Iran or Persia he said Aslam Taslam. And the emperor of Persia tore up his his, you know, his letter, you see. So, he had this vision of an, a, a, a global, uh, and I, don't, I shouldn't say global, because he, he was living in, in Arabia, so the old world was just, you know, Syria, Iran, and Egypt, maybe, for him. Yeah, so, yes, sir. But, yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a, a, uh, an authentic hadith that says if there's a prophet after me, it would be Omar. Do we understand Islam more than Omar? Omar was the second caliph. He led, uh, he led really, he sent campaigns to Syria and Egypt and Persia and conquered all these lands. And, and this is the world, you know. He was trying to... Uh, I, I'm not saying that in the Old Testament you had David. You had David, you had Solomon. They behaved the same way. Okay? And David married a hundred. One of them was in adultery. Solomon married a thousand. Okay? So, I mean, that was the, world, the way of the world. And I can really, you know, understand what he was doing.
But again, you said Jesus Christ is a prophet. I believe personally that he was. He is more than a prophet. Uh, thank you very much. Any other question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a savior, because uh, uh, the Islamic version, uh, which is in, in Surah An-Nisa, for example, says he was not crucified, but a lookalike took his place, etc. But I believe that he, he died on the cross for our sins because we are born sinners. We cannot really make it on our own. He saved us from our sins because he took the punishment that was our due the punishment for our sins and, uh, and, uh, and this is how he saves us from our sins because we cannot change our hearts we are born sinners when you have a kid uh, I, I'm a father of four I didn't teach my children to do mischief when they were young two or three years old they do it by nature I had to teach them how to do good things uh, if you study Freud, Freud tells you it's uh, id, ego, and superego. I'm not saying he's right, but I'm saying it gives you a glimpse of our sinfulness, how we are born sinners and we cannot make it on our own. We cannot go to heaven on our own with our works. This is what I believe. So I believe he's a savior who can save us from our sins. This is what I mean, yeah. I think if you if you if you really use the mic here so that people would understand and hear better. Okay. Well, when the angels said that, uh, when God told the angels that he that he's gonna make like a clay, which is we all speakable clay, it says up in the Quran, that the angels said if that we get if we put, if we um get put on earth, we'll create mischief and shed blood. So the devil. When he made Adam and Eve eat up off the the apple, he's like, my main point is that Jesus didn't die for our sins. Everyone got their own account. That's why you got two angels on each side. You got one angel writing your good deeds, one angel writing your bad deeds. Okay, like, and God, he conceals your, your sins. So, like, it's a sin against you to tell your sins. Like, as you said, like, when you go to, like, the church or something, you go talk to the pastor, God says, you should conceal your sins because there will be witnesses against you on the day of judgment. And Jesus, like we said, like he's a messenger of God. We love Jesus. And the Quran, the only reason why the Quran was sent down was to guide human mankind for in this generation because the past generation like mixed up the whole, you know, like they mixed up like the, uh, the words of God. The reason why Jesus was brought down in this generation, in the generation in the past, before this one, was to guide that generation, you know. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Can I intervene here? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Just uh, really because it has been dragging, just to say that. Uh, okay. The reason, in the Quran, God, he, he wrote the Quran. I'm very sorry. sorry no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the Quran, God, he, God wrote it and sent it down with an angel who's Jibra'il to Prophet Muhammad. Prophet Muhammad was the one to spread Islam. That's why a bunch of us, you know, like whoever's born a Muslim, it's like very blessed, you know. Like everybody's born a Muslim. In the Quran it says, made created from dust, from a sperm drop, to a leaf clot, and created into a man. This life is nothing but a test. I mean I think the, the idea is came across, right? So So there's a difference in opinion like uh uh, uh, Christ tells us we were, we, are, we were born sinners. We are born. The Bible tells us we are born as sinners, while Islam tells us we are born a clean slate, right? As I said, you cannot teach a child to do mischief. He does mischief. But one question, was Adam forgiven? Why did he go back to paradise then? So, so he was not forgiven, really. No, because he didn't go back to paradise. It was banned from him, and he had to to live in toil with his uh, with Eve, and then his his kids after him, and killing and mischief, and fill the the whole world with blood and yeah uh, yes, ma'am. Right. Are we talking about two deities? Uh, 
No, no. I, 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 uh, this is really, I, I am against people saying that Allah was a moon god or uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, called for the worship of an idol. No, uh, he was trying to reach God, if I can say. But I believe that Allah is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, too, you see. And, uh, and uh, we, our human mind is, is against the gospel, I believe. Uh, coming from that background, I feel that it's really, uh, the cross is foolishness, really, to those who do not believe. And unless we have the, uh, the Holy Spirit face, face in our hearts. And I respect all points of view here. And I, I am the only, uh, myself, my wife, and one kid only are following Christ. The whole family is still Muslim. My father is Hajj, and uh, went to Mecca three times, etc., etc. All my family is Muslim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.